Hey y'all, this is Jonathan Martin here, and happy Lent, happy Lenting. I don't know if a lot of you like me don't come from a tradition where you don't practice Lent. I uh, still feel like I'm learning so much, and this year in particular, for the table here in Oklahoma City, we did a little online Ash Wednesday service, and I don't know if this needs a whole lot of backstory. It was one of those really crazy times where... Um, I just had a lot going on the days before the day of, and when it was time for us to record a little thing, it just felt like something happened. Uh, every once in a while, the magic does, the way things kind of seem to fall out of the sky. So um, I felt like I needed to put this up on the podcast, hoping it would be helpful for somebody. Um, I don't want to get uh, too much away, but I think this idea in particular of what it means to follow our hunger, to allow ourselves to be hungry, not to arbitrarily give up things, but maybe to identify the areas in which we are the most full. Well, you'll see what I mean. Uh, It was done for Ash Wednesday, but I feel like for anywhere during this Lent season, it's a kind of invitation to a different way of thinking about this practice of Lent. I hope this will be a helpful resource for you somehow do want to especially thank those of you who give on Patreon. It means the world to me. And if you'd like to support what we're doing so that we can continue to put this kind of content out there, um, please do that. There's a link to Patreon on our website. Also, anytime you like, comment, subscribe, all those things, it helps us so much. So please know that I'm thankful for each of you for coming along this journey with me. And hey, now, especially this journey from Lent, this journey into Lent. So any further ado, y'all, here we go. This is my little sermon from Ash Wednesday. Thanks, as always, for hanging around. Will's going to come on, and he's going to lead us in a short liturgy, just a little reflection, uh, just to kind of sink our hearts and our minds with what's happening. So, Will, if you are out there, if you want to go ahead and jump on, we'll do that first. And, oh, there you are jump quickly into a text. But uh, those of you who are watching, say hi to Will, everybody. Hi, Will. Hey, hey. How you doing? I am doing all right. How are you? I am. I'm well. I'm, it's really good to see you. You too. I'm glad to be here to have you uh, sent this to me. This is a beautiful piece you have me reading today. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Well, you know what? I always, I feel like you know, when people ask me to read things or to say things, it's so they can make fun of me. They want to hear me say things in Southern talk so that they can point and laugh. Um, on the other hand, whenever I read anything that really inspires me, it's really beautiful. I'm like, that would be even better if Will were to read it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Good to see you, friend. Okay, this is called uh, Blessing the Dust for Ash Wednesday by Jan Richardson. All those days you felt like dust, like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for a blessing 
that lives within the ancient ashes, that makes its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked, not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking that we are less than we are, mm. but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made, and the stars that blaze in our bones, and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. Let us be marked. Wow. Oh, that was gorgeous. I thought it couldn't be better when I read that while I was moved so deeply, until you read it. And then it becomes, <laughs> if it transcends, it becomes something even better. Uh, oh, beautiful words, beautiful words. Thank you so much. Uh, Jordan said, by the way, he's petitioning for you to narrate the next Avengers trailer. I second this. <laughs> I like how you think, Jordan. That's amazing. Uh, we'll do that. Love you so much, my friend. It's good to see you. You too. Love you too. Ah, and uh, good to see my friend Jay, uh, my good buddy I haven't seen in a long time. Oh, so glad all of you are here. Well, um, as uh, we're stepping back into a text here, let me just... Let me just say this first by way of preface, and I'm just diving right in quickly. So uh, Lent, if you're not familiar with this practice, if you, again, like me, didn't uh, grow up within a tradition where Lent was significant, this is the beginning of the 40 days and 40 nights before the crucifixion of Jesus. It specifically commemorates the way that Jesus goes in the wilderness, and you will recall in the words of the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. No one else pushes him there. It's voluntary. Uh, I think we could, I could preach a lot, a whole sermon about that right now, about how the things that Jesus uh, does are always voluntary. He's not forced. He's not coerced. Uh, he's not manipulated. The Spirit actually compels him to go into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And following in the example of Jesus, we take this time to go into the wilderness ourselves, then the same way that Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness and into this place where the one that for those of us who are Christians, we believe is the son of God, is also face to face with his humanity. He is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He is tested within the wilderness. But remember that Jesus does not go in the wilderness in order to be tested. He doesn't go into the wilderness, into the wilderness uh, to be tormented. Um, I think that's important because sometimes people talk about going in the wilderness and there's the spirit of kind of self-flagellation to it. Jesus wasn't going because he needed to prove anything to anybody. Jesus wasn't going uh, in order just to make things uncomfortable. In fact, I'm convinced that Jesus goes into the wilderness for the same reasons that the prophets of old, the ancient Hebrew prophets, prophets in all traditions really, always go to the wilderness. They go to the margins of things to get out of the noise, to get out of the center, to get out of the places, uh, the spheres of influence, to go to a place where there's clarity, to go into a place where there's perspective. Wilderness, and I know there are other texts that kind of go that direction, but I think in the grand scheme of things in Hebrew tradition, wilderness is not primarily identified with punishment. Wilderness is a place that you go to recharge. Wilderness is a place that you go to tune into the voice 
in the words of the prophet Hosea, God actually, there's this beautiful text where right after this really fiery um, denouncement, this kind of pronouncement of judgment, that God says that he's going to lure, he's going to woo his people back in the wilderness in order to allure her, in order to allure Israel. And I think wilderness is that place. It's a place of allurement. It's a place to remember the most basic colors of what it is to be human and what it is to be in a body, what it is to know God. So with all of that in view, uh, this is a time where we start the beginning of those 40 days of going into the wilderness. Now, what that means is that when a lot of people practice Lent in some form, that they will engage in some kind of a fast. And there are no rules to this. And, you know, you hear people talk about this all the time. Somebody says that they gave up chocolate. Somebody says they're giving up television, giving up this, giving up that. Uh, some version of a fast. Uh, again, not coming from a tradition with that, I've certainly never been legalistic about it. But I think, but there's something here I really want you to see. Uh, because sometimes I'll have these conversations with people, and I think they're legitimate conversations. I understand why these would be questions. Uh, in this time in the church calendar, where people are uh, intentional about going in the wilderness, and there's fasting, and there's some degree of, it seems to be self-deprivation in that, people then rightly have these questions, like, okay, so if I fast from food physically, and it screws up my blood sugar, and I'm possibly could actually go into a coma, should I give up food? Uh, I'll go give you this spoiler alert. No, I don't think you should give up food if that's the case. Uh, if you are a person who already is lonely, then I don't think the idea is let's find ways to be as isolated as possible for the next 40 days. It's because the whole spirit of Lent has never really been about giving things up for the sake of giving things up. But there is this other thing, and I, I'm telling you, this is going to be a weird turn. I'm sorry that this is so left of center. Uh, I'm not saying that this is the Holy Spirit. How would I know such things? I'll just tell you, I've never thought of this before. And when this got dropped on me last night, it was a surprise to me because this is not a Lent, and this is not a Lenten text. It's not a Lenten passage. Um, what I'm going to share just very briefly with you has absolutely nothing, uh, superficially speaking, to do with Lent whatsoever. There is a passage in Acts chapter 10, this account of uh, sort of the, the history of the early Christians, of the early church where Peter, uh, the disciple Peter, now Apostle Peter, uh, is on a rooftop, and he has this vision. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but track with me here for just a moment. Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, says, In Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is, lodging, uh, he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. Uh, so pretty crazy. Uh, this good man, devout man, Jewish man, has an appearance here of this divine being, an angel who tells him, go find a guy named Peter who's staying by the sea. Y'all tracking so far? So when the angel spoke to him 
and left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. Now, again, this, I, this is twisty and turny, but hang with me one more second. Verse 9 says, about noon the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter, the person he's supposed to send for, went up on the roof to pray. And verse 10, a verse that I've honestly never thought about or paid attention to at all. Verse 10 says, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet coming down, lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord. He's offended by this. He says, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. So I'm going to stop reading there. But basically what happens, right? So you've got Peter, a devout Jew who practices kosher. He doesn't eat any foods that are considered ceremonially unclean. Peter has a vision in which a sheet is spread before him with a feast. And that feast includes all the things that he's not supposed to eat. There are, uh, presumably, there are pigs involved. There is bacon involved. There is sausage involved. There's shrimp involved. All the things that under purity codes, all the things that under ceremonial law he's not supposed to eat, uh, he's told to feast on. That's, of course, where Peter objects, God, I can't do that. You know, I've never eaten anything that's unclean, all of that. It's precisely while all this is happening that uh, a man, the man knocks on the door. Uh, this man who's a Gentile, this man who's not part of this Jewish heritage, lineage, and tradition. And that's when Peter knows what it means. He knows that what God is actually saying to him is, this is about the Gentiles. These are people who are not Jews. Do not call common do not call unclean what I've called clean. I, I'm, I, I feel like this is a whole lot of setup when I really just want to say one thing. Out of nowhere, looking at this passage in a different context for a different reason, I got hung up on this detail last night, actually, that Peter was hungry. Peter has this trance. Peter has this vision while he's hungry. Now, as a person who... Uh, the day barbecue got holy praise him. I love that. Now, as a person who um, tends to get really irrational when hungry, uh, I feel like I can identify on some level with the experience that if, and I'm such a baby about these things, that if I don't get to eat within X amount of hours, I will start seeing things. I will start hallucinating, or you'd think I was hallucinating. And if I haven't eaten for, um, uh, to, you know, Eight hours you'd think had been two days because I feel like I'm like that. Um, in my tradition, even though we didn't practice Lent, we did have fast sometimes. It was never good to them. I always said fasting. I'm always whining about it, all the kinds of things. But I think it's so <laughs> – I love Jordan said you don't get serious when there's bacon involved. That's fantastic. <laughs> but I think there's something in this that Peter has this vision when he's hungry. Now um, – I'm really not just trying to be funny here, but here's what strikes me about this text. Never seen before. Peter has a vision of a 
feast of things he's not supposed to eat. And here's a voice telling him that he can now eat these things while he's waiting for lunch. He's hungry and waiting for lunch, which makes me wonder, would Peter have been open to this vision when he wasn't hungry? If he had had lunch, if he was full, if he was satiated, if he was satisfied, because, um, and again, I'm really not just trying to be funny. Think about this. Uh, I don't know about y'all. There's not a lot of things I won't eat, but there are some things I won't eat. There are things that theoretically I won't eat. But when I haven't eaten for a while, things all of a sudden sound tasty to me that would not otherwise sound tasty. Uh, the rule, the rule book gets a lot more lax. Things get a lot more open when I've been hungry enough for long enough. Now, I'm not taking this to like survival movie level, the whole thing of like, you know, you haven't eaten in months, so you have to decide to eat the corpse of the dude who was your friend. Could you, would you get hungry enough to eat a dude who is your friend after they're dead? I'm not, not really going there. But, you know, like when you get hungry, you're open to eating things that you wouldn't normally otherwise eat because of the fact that you're hungry. And somehow in seeing this, um, there is, for me, weirdly, a revelation about Lent. And what I think is a real answer for those of us who even struggle with this concept of some kind of a fast. I don't think the idea with fasting has ever been that people who are already hungry go more hungry. I don't think the idea with fasting has ever been that people who are already lonely become more isolated and more alienated. The fact is, there are some of us who are full. There are ways in which we are full. We all have our challenges. We all have our struggles. But I think sometimes we're not realistic to own the fact that as Western people, um, we there, uh, depending on where we live, depending on where we come from, there's a certain kind of privilege. There are certain kinds of ways in which we learn what it is to live full. And I think that there is some revelation that comes. I think there are some answers that come that we're probably not going to be open to any other way until we're hungry, until we're hungry enough. Peter is surely more susceptible to a vision in which now he can eat bacon and all the other things, precisely because he's in a place when he's hungry. I'm convinced that there are moments in our lives where we want to hear some kind of a word from God, or we, uh, maybe in this vernacular, we just want perspective. We want clarity. We want to know. And precisely the thing that keeps us from knowing, it's not that God is not speaking. It's not that there's not truth there. It's not there's not um, something there that's eager to be discovered. It's just simply that we're not hungry enough to get to it, um, that we're full enough of too many other things. Uh, binge watching Netflix, Surfing, 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 clicking, 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 like whatever, all the noise, all the input. So it's not that the answer is not there. It's not that God's not always speaking, but the very things that are really already inside of us, we're not able to get to them because we're simply not hungry. And I think what happens in Lent is that there is this invitation, not a demand, not a summons. There is an invitation to identify the areas in which we actually are really full uh, maybe a little bit too full, and to make an intentional decision to go into that other place where we're hungry again, 
to go into that place where instead of just being full of all the random noise and nonsense, that we might be open to possibilities that we would not have otherwise considered. I think that's what Lent's about. It's an invitation to get hungry and thirsty enough that we will consider possibilities that we otherwise would not have considered. Jesus, when he's just tested for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, one of the things that he says uh, uh, is he says to Satan, um, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, you can hear that man does not live by bread alone. You can hear that humans don't live by bread alone. But I don't think you know that until you've been in the wilderness and only the words of God can nourish you. It's a text. It's a scripture. It's a thing that you heard until it becomes the only thing that you have. The wilderness is the place. Lent is the invitation to come to that place where things that have just been theoretical become lived experience. Man, I don't mean to sound too Pentecostal, but I'm feeling some kind of a flow right here. Lent is an invitation, uh, this, this invitation to come into this place where the things that have only been theoretical, the things that have been in our heads, now we can experience in our bones. We can discover um, from the deepest self. We can discover from our hearts. There's a different kind of knowing. It doesn't happen any other way until we get hungry enough. Now, I'm convinced that this is part of the reason why we dread this kind of wilderness so much. I don't want, <laughs> I'm feeling that a little more strongly than I want to. I don't want to get quiet enough. I don't want to get still enough. I don't want to not be as full of some of the other random things, uh, noise and all of my fandoms and whatever, because I'm a little afraid of what I might discover. I'm a little afraid of the vision that I might see. I'm a little afraid of the things I might see if I allow myself to be hungry. Good grief. You, <laughs> do anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Um, I'm afraid of what it's going to be like to be that in my body. I'm afraid of what it's going to be like to feel my frailty. I'm afraid of what it is going to be like to be vulnerable in that way. Because I think deep down, there's a part of us that recognizes when we get vulnerable enough, when we get frail enough, when we get open to the elements the way that you are in the element, we don't know exactly what we're going to see. Because <laughs> there's an, some assumptions that we've held. There's some things that we have known absolutely for sure that they are true. In the case of Peter here, do you know how he knew that these things were true? Uh, and I know this isn't super Hebrew language, but because the Bible told him so. Uh, Peter knew, and I think this is an important point to make, Pete, Peter didn't, it wasn't just that he heard, I don't know, like random priest or, or read some book somewhere that he happened to pick up a forbidden scroll and got these crazy ideas about things he was supposed to eat and not eat. No, I mean, like this is, as far as Peter understands, these are the absolute words of God. Uh, that sort of ridiculous bumper sticker, the kind of like uh, of old, the God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Uh, well, God had said it. Peter believed it. And that settled it. There was no room for uncertainty. There was no room for questions about these things. We're talking about things that from everything Peter understood, absolutely, definitively had to be the voice of God. And now to be in a place where those assumptions are challenged, think this is like ground floor. These are bedrock rules of existence for Peter. The, these, um, 
these laws were random and arbitrary. They're a way of orienting your whole life, right? right? The way any rules do, the way any law does. My law, incidentally, another story from another time, is not all bad. We already have stages of our lives where we need to be oriented in this way, where we need the boundaries to be super clear until we don't need them to be super clear anymore. <laughs> and God undoes some of these assumptions. And now all of a sudden, we're in a place where we're hungry. Now we're all of a sudden in a place in the wilderness. If we see something, we hear, hear something that we're not going to be able to unsee. We're not going to be able to unhear. Do you ever have things like that in your life, like things that you intentionally avoid because you know you're not going to be able to unsee and unhear them? Please don't try to proselytize me right here because some of you will, and I don't mean it like that. It's just a vulnerable statement. One of the reasons that I'm quite, <laughs> I stay away from certain books and films about like how our food is made is I know that if I read some of these books and watch some of these documentaries, then I'm going to have to change how I eat. So there is some information I intentionally still keep at arm's length because I'm, I don't want to know. I want a hot, kind of the opposite of the Peter thing here, right? Like I, I know I want a hot dog. That's not a surprise to me. I don't need to be on the rooftop to figure out that I want a hot dog with mustard and chili and slaw because I'm from North Carolina and that's how you do it. I know that I want this. So I don't really want to know precisely what goes in the hot dog. I don't want to know how the sausage is made because I just know, you know, I already know what I like. Right. I mean, so this can work in all different kinds of directions. The thing is, I just think that there's a part of us that knows that if we go into the wilderness, that if we allow ourselves to be hungry, if we can allow ourselves to be in our bodies, frail, human, blessed bodies that come from the dust in this way, we don't know exactly what we're going to hear. We don't know exactly what we're going to see. So all I'm trying to say, and I told everybody this is going to be like five minutes because that's what I do. Um, and then this happens. All I'm saying is I think the invitation of this Lent, this is not... Uh, there, there is no legalism here, but what if Lent is the invitation for you to do what you need to do, give up what you need to give up, go where you need to go, to allow yourself to know the things that probably you could know already, you could see already, but you've just not been in a position to be able to see and hear. It may or may not be new information, oh, but I think there's something about being hungry it kind of shifts everything. It changes absolutely everything. So what is the invitation right now? Where, where are the areas in which you are realistically just too full? Just too full. Not in the areas where you're um, starving. Not in the areas where everything's like, no, like uh, where you're weak. Where, what are the areas where you're too full? And what would it look like to, be, to make space to be hungry again? What would it... What would it look like to be willing to be in the wilderness with your own hunger? What would it look like, like Peter, to sit on the roof and to be and to be hungry? I, I, I'm, I promise I'm done, but I just can't get past that right now. If we're, Peter was hungry, um, so if <laughs> I don't know how the meal was supposed to work that day, but my thought is. If Peter would have had food, if Peter could have been able to have lunch, then he absolutely would have chosen that over having this experience that deeply challenges all of his um, presuppositions about how the world works. Cole said not deprivation, but invitation. That's better than I'm saying it. Not deprivation, but invitation. Hey, if we're up to me, we're, uh, you know, I, like, I, I'm, I'm fine where I am. I would rather be full of these things. But what if you allow yourself to sit in the hunger a little bit longer? What if you allow yourself to get to that place where you might be able to see things and hear things that you would not otherwise see and hear? 
that's the weird thing about this invitation, right? Is that in that way, it actually is frightening, but just not for the reasons that we thought. God's not arbitrary and petty and punitive, and there's not some kind of a race here, not some kind of a challenge for anybody to have to prove that they're tough or that they can live without this. That No, no, no one cares about that. I say this about a lot of things these days, and I don't mean it to sound funny, and, I, and it's not in the spirit of harshness, but I can't tell you enough how much I don't care about that. I don't care what you give up for Lent. I don't care whether or not you give up anything for Lent. And I don't care about you, but I just don't care about that. Who cares? Only you know the areas in which you're a little bit too full. Only you know the areas where there is this fearful, but also somehow wonderful invitation to go without. So you can get to the place where you can see some things and hear some things. Oh, you know that. So uh, I don't know what the voice might be calling out to you. I don't know what the voice might be saying to you. I certainly know what it's like. In fact, 99.9% of my life is in a place of wordlessness. Uh, obviously, I'm using words, but in terms of God, I don't know, generally know what God's saying, what God's doing, what, like whatever. But I do know that the times where I've been open to the things that have really, um, I don't know, set my brain on fire. Uh, taking me on a different course, giving me a different perspective or whatever have been the moments when I've been hungry and I've been open uh, in ways that I would not otherwise be open. So that's that's the invitation wherever you are. And with that, um, I'm going to ask Pastor Julie to jump on here. Uh, she's going to lead us. She also has one more uh, bit of a Lenten blessing for us, and it's going to lead us in a time uh, a, a brief time of communion and maybe just a time to figure this out. How about this? Just before she comes on, I will, um, uh, Oh, April, by the way, send this, this is beautiful. I think he wouldn't have realized he was being told he could eat the food. If he was, if he could have looked at that food and just thought, why am I being shown this food? <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. Why am I being shown this food? Right? Like, why am I, why am I seeing this feast that should not be a feast for me? Why am I, why am I sensing these things that I'm sensing? Why am I feeling the things that I'm feeling? I mean, do, do, do y'all really, are, are you, are you, are you hearing that like in here right now? Why am I feeling these things that I'm feeling? I don't want to be feeling. Why am I sensing these things that I'm sensing that I don't want to be sensing? Why am I thinking about these things? I don't want to be thinking about what if instead of keeping those questions at bay, we need to welcome them and they need to be surfaced. That's what Lent is. That's what the invitation into this Lenten season is about. And just before, uh, <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's genius. <laughs> Through the fear, hunger to the feast of bacon for the, for the first time. Mm, I am feeling that. <laughs> and I think it's so important. I love this. This didn't feel, I love it when we're kind of jamming out some kind of an interactive sermon because that for me is so powerful. Um, we may not imagine the what it's going to feel like to be deprived in this way. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to not uh, be on my phone seven hours a day. I can't even imagine what it would be like to not constantly have something on the car. can't even imagine what it would be like to fast for three days, whatever it might be. But that's the flip side of it, right, is that we also can't imagine the freedom that comes because I am convinced God is a liberating God. And ultimately what God is always trying to speak to us is some kind of a liberating word. We can't even imagine what if it's, what is something more like that? You can't imagine what it'd be like taste bacon for the first time. You can't imagine what it would be like to know in a different way than, you know, right now, 
Oh, but when, you know, there's that uh, great verse in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you taste and when you see, and notice there, tasting is seeing. When you taste and see, oh, there's stuff to be explored. There's stuff to be experienced that you couldn't have fathomed. So as much as we try to keep the terrors of that kind of wilderness time at bay, oh, there's also, I believe, some some freedom and some liberation and some love and light and goodness we couldn't have dreamed of either. So real quick, let me pray for you. And then Pastor Julie, I'm, I really want you to build me out here. I need you to do your thing. God, I just ask for my friends, help us to not be afraid of the invitation to the wilderness. Help us not to be afraid to see the things that we need to see, hear the things that we need to hear. Uh, I just pray that whatever it is we do or don't do, that we give up or don't give up. Give us the grace to not live in avoidance. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Pastor Julie. Everybody, say welcome. Say hello to Pastor Julie for our little online Lent. Hi, Julie. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. That was so good. Oh, thank you, friend. Awesome. Such a good <laughs> word. Oh, it was so really good. was supposed so to be th- th- like three minutes tonight. And I was like, whenever <laughs> I say that, this is, you know that, though. You know that that is <laughs> yeah. the least reliable is when I make these promises. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. So very good. Um, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Th- I love that word about being hungry because I think that's where mm. a lot of us are at. And that's really kind of draws that attention to those areas where we might be yeah. called into the wilderness instead of letting some outward show of piety, you know, kind of guide the sh- guide the mm. thing. So anyway, so good. Well, I'd like to invite everyone. Uh, we are going to uh, have communion um, together. So if you have something at your house that you want to use or we just like to invite, invite you to be a part of that. So I want to give you some time to be able to do that. Um, before we get to that part of our liturgy this evening on this Ash Wednesday evening. So first of all, I would like to start by reading a scripture out of uh, Joel. Um, It's Joel 2, 12 through 13. um, And I'm reading it out of the modern English version. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend Mm. your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Mm. Mm. And then I'm going to read a blessing for Ash Wednesday by Jan Richardson. To receive this blessing, all you have to do is let your heart break. Let it crack open. Let it fall apart so that you can see its secret chambers, the Mm. hidden spaces where you have hesitated to go. Your entire Mm. life is here inscribed whole upon the heart's walls, every path taken or left behind, every every face you turn toward or turned away, every word spoken in love Mm. or in rage, every line of your life you would prefer to leave in shadow, every story that shimmers with Mm. treasures known and those you have yet to find. It could take you days to wander these rooms, 40 at least. So let this be a season of wandering for trusting the breaking 
for tracing the rupture that will return you. To the one who waits, who watches, who works within the rending to mm. make your heart whole. Mm. Wow. Be blessed. I thought as we were, mm. as you were talking and as we were talking about what the season of Lent is and thinking about how a lot of this is talking about ashes, but we're also talking about dust and how we yeah. return to the dust and the ashes. And I, I thought, and this is, like you said, this isn't very Lent like official Lent, anything, but I thought, I remember when I was in, it's funny that you mentioned like where, where your heart needs to go. I mm. remember in those toxic kind of faith spaces that many of us have come out of. I remember thinking at the time that I knew God was calling us out. I remember thinking, I'm not going to pray about it because I mm. kind of knew where God was leading wow. and I didn't want to yeah. hear it. You know, that's like, real. I literally didn't want to hear it because mm. I'd rather put up the show of sticking with something and staying Ooh. true to something than to have God call me out where I knew that mm. it wasn't going to look holy. It wasn't going to look great. It was going to look like you were abandoning um, people. Mm. And so I just, I, I remember going through a season where I literally just shut down to kind of praying about it because I didn't want to get yeah. real about what God was really saying. And in that season, I remember reading this, it was on social media, someone posted a quote out of that same toxic space that said something to the effect mm. of pressure proves whether you were diamond or dust. Wow. And I just, at the moment, I just was like, that hmm. just feels so wrong. Like part of me mm -hmm. was just like, that is so wrong. And I knew where it was coming from. It was coming from this almost, you know, it was really kind of more of a toxically masculine kind of thing coming out yeah. saying like, basically this is, you know, if you can handle pressure, you're a diamond, but if not, you're dust. And I just, my life flashed before me, like all the times mm. when the pressure, when I crumbled under pressure, you know, and mm. like, oh, so you're just dust. You crumbled under pressure. But then I was like, wow. how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as diamonds or dust? And mm. are we diamonds or dust? And I realized like when I wrestled with that, I remember we're both, we're, we're both, we're, we yeah. are diamonds and we're dust. We have these moments where we crumble under pressure and these moments where we shine. And really mm. the tension between our strengths and our vulnerabilities is where truth and authenticity are. It's where beauty mm. is, so good. It's where God meets us. And it's uncomfortable in this season to sit with our grief mm. and our vulnerability to get in touch with the fact that we came from dust and we'll come back to dust. I mean, that's yeah. hard. That's not easy to sit with. But in this discomfort, I think, is where we connect with divinity. And that's where mm. I just feel God speaking. And that's where I think he or they invite us to connect with them is in yeah. this, that we are dust. And I read today from our mm. friends at Middle Church they kind of posted this on, on social media and it really hit me. It's like every atom in your body is shared, recycled across time and being. Even your body is not fully you. 57% of your cells mm. are microorganisms thrumming in symbiosis. So when you remember you are dust, may it remind you we are inextricably connected, literally mm. knit together life. And I just wow. thought that was amazing. So as we come Beautiful. to this space, I have I have ashes and I just invite all of you to accept this blessing today. So this may be weird, but just close your eyes and you mm. are dust. You come from mm. dust and from dust you will return. 
Creator God, may we be connected to this web of life. May we be reminded that in this vulnerability that we are connected across the cosmos to you. May we be connected to the divinity within us, to the image of the divine in those around us and in the cosmos that is around us. May we understand this connection and allow ourselves to be emptied in a way that we again remember that you are what fills us and this Mm. divinity is what fills our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies. We accept that love in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Wow. And now I invite you, I invite you to, Grab your elements or whatever you have if you want to take the communion today. And I'd like to say the confession because I think that's an important part of this Lenten tradition is to understand our vulnerability, our our need to confess, and our need for that forgiveness. So let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. May we true, we are truly so sorry and how we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. And now on the night that Jesus died, he came together with his friends and he took the bread and said the blessing. He broke the bread and gave it to his friends and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread. And after supper, he took the wine and gave thanks and said, drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And take the wine. Now let us declare the mm. mystery of our faith together. Christ has died. Christ, Christ is has risen. risen. Christ will come again. Come again. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, You're welcome. That was amazing. It was perfect. I know we'll let everybody go in just a second, but you know, I, was, I just have to say, I was thinking about. I I don't recall seeing uh, that meme or that quote, the the diamonds and dust thing, and and I'm sure probably right. There's probably some more redemptive, healthy metaphor in diamonds somehow. But, you know, what the first thing I thought when I heard that was what tremendous pressure to put on people that what we do or don't do will determine whether or not we're dust. And I think for people like we're, for any of this talk of Ash Wednesday and return to us sounds really morbid, like whatever. I think that's the part we can often miss is there's a lot of freedom, <laughs> I think, in that idea that now whatever you do, however you respond to the pressure, 
we're still dust. <laughs> no one's not yeah. dust. No one's exempt. Like it's not, it's not up to us, you know, to decide whether or not we're going to be a diamond, you know, whatever form we take, we're dust. And I think that's part of the idea is that, you know, it's like, we can, uh, you know, we, we can live in denial of our humanity in that way. And no, like, we're just, we're just dust. That's not a terrible thing to be dust. It's good to be dust. <laughs> oh, awesome. Exactly. And it's like, I, I, when I thought of that, I thought, you know, God did some amazing things with dust. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. Creation itself, dust, you know, God breathed life into dust and here we are. So, you know, I, I just, mm. yeah, exactly. But that assumption that'd be bad to be dust, mm-hmm. it'd be bad to be, oh, absolutely. It's bad to be frail, it's bad to be limited, you know, whatever. So interesting. Absolutely. I love yes. too with what you said. I just, uh, reading that liturgy and I, you know, I read it before, but I really, uh, that, that was so pretty spontaneously jamming out the thought from Acts. I didn't even have time to really metabolize, but that line in the liturgy so that you can see its secret chambers, the hidden spaces where you have hesitated to go. It's just like, Oh, that just seems to me. It just says it like, don't be afraid to go to the places that you've hesitated to go. Don't be afraid of you, what you might see. Don't be afraid of what you might uh, hear. And I think it's precisely in acknowledging that we're dust and that we are. Yeah. This is just who we are human that we can be okay with that. Like, yeah, it might be disruptive. It might be different, but yeah, that's, that's all right. We're just, we're, we're just us. We're all, we're all humans here and there's nothing to be afraid of and what we might see, what we might hear, what we might learn anyway. So thank you for that invitation, so Joy. So, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, I, by the way, we didn't build this in in some kind of formal liturgical way. I don't, you know, doing a thing of having people uh, do their own um, ashes or whatever, but, and it's funny, it feels very vulnerable to take out my, I take off my hat right now. That feels in the spirit of Lent. Cause then like, yeah, with this level of hat head, <laughs> but you already said those words. Uh, I'll just, I'm going to cross myself here, friends. And we just remember together that, uh, we are, that we are dust to dust. We shall return, but friends, we, we bless you. And thank you for being with us. Thank you, Julie, for taking us into that. Uh, Eucharist, it was so beautiful. We love you guys. And, uh, Happy linting. We will see you soon.